This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus' name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We are in uh, the book of Psalms. We're in Psalm 141. I always find it neat. Uh, I know uh, many of you don't get to have this experience, but when you're teaching through the Bible, when you're teaching through a lot of the Bible, and over the last 25 years, I've spent a lot of time teaching through the Bible on a regular basis, pretty much teaching, teaching maybe two, three, sometimes as many as four books of the Bible at one time. When you're doing that, you're just all throughout the Bible. You're maybe in a in a book of prophecy, or maybe you're in a book of, in the Old Testament, a book of history, or maybe you're in one of the books of one of the, one of the prophets, and then you're in the New Testament, you're in an epistle. And what I love about teaching the Bible and uh, teaching through the Bible is it all fits together. It just, it, it touches each other, each part of, of scripture. All of scripture is like a fine woven uh, silk garment. It, it tender to each each part of Scripture. If you get one pull in a silk garment, it, it'll pull all the way across the garment. That's why Scripture is so intimate and so close and so tight that when you're reading Scripture and when you're when you're studying Scripture, one part of Scripture will speak directly to uh, a, a whole other portion of scripture, a whole portion of the book of the Bible. Today is one of those days because Sunday we're going to talk about the yeast of the Pharisees and and legalism because that's what comes up in the book of Mark where we're at. And But David in this psalm, he, he in this psalm talks about the context of God's salvation and his salvation through his intimate relationship with him. And the key verse for me in, in all of Scripture that deals with this is live by the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Live by the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Let me break that down just for a second. Living by the Spirit means this the New Testament idea of being indwelt by the Holy Spirit and having a new human spirit uh, born again in you. And when you're born again and have that new human spirit inside of you, you have what is a relationship in, in a, a very similar relationship to the relationship that God has with himself. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they exist in three persons, but they're one. They're together and they're one and they're growing and they're in there and they know each other and they're intimate with each other and they're able to speak with each other and they're able to uh, speak in the inward parts and in the, in the intimate ways to each other. They know so also when you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you and the Holy Spirit communes with your spirit and your soul and and that Holy Spirit guides you and leads you. He is our counselor. He's our advisor. And he's able to speak to us where we're at. He, he knows us intimately. And he has that intimate walk with us. And we no longer have to live by a list of rules. Do this, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. We don't have to live by those rules anymore so that we can have a holy, faithful Christian life. We live by the context of the relationship that we have with God, just in the same way 
that uh, Jesus lived in the context of his relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit when he walked the earth. And so you no longer live by a set of rules. You no longer live by the law. You no longer live under legalism. You live by the Spirit. You live by the Spirit, and therefore you do not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. The reason is in the context of that relationship, there's power to overcome. There's overcoming power. There's salvific power. There's life-changing power in the context of your relationship with God. And if you understand that, then all of a sudden you realize that there is hope for me to be changed. There is hope for me to be made new. There is hope for me to become a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. And see, and when that hope is alive in you, then that hope is visible and seeable by those around you. And when that hope is visible and seeable by those around you, then they, it's contagious. They want to have that life change. They want to be a part of that. They want to see that hope in their lives. They want to see that plan at work in their lives. They want to, they desire it because remember, rule is never desirable. Who, who likes a rule? I don't like a rule. Who, who wants a new rule? You, the only reason we come up with a new rule is because the old rule wasn't sufficient to fix the problem. Who wants a new rule? But who, when you ask that question, nobody wants that. Nobody wants a new rule. But if you say, say to somebody, would you like a new relationship? Yeah, yeah. Would you like a deeper relationship? Yeah. Would you like a would you like a intimate relationship that's going to totally transform and change your life? That's the makings of all the Hallmark movies my wife's ever watched. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I want a deeper, more personal, more powerful relationship. If I say to you, salvation is based off of that relationship. It's based off of a growing, powerful relationship with a creator God who loves you and knows you and cares about you. That's not hard to sell. That's that's attractive. That's what the world is is looking for. It's looking for hope. And there's hope in something like that. There's hope in a, a intimate, personal, walking relationship with God. There's no hope in a law. There's no hope in a rule. That rule, the only hope in that rule is maybe it'll work for a time until somebody figures out how to break that rule. In fact, the Bible clearly says that's what we do. We invent new ways to sin. So a rule's not going to work. A rule's not going to help. But but if I walk in the context of a relationship with God, I begin to be more like him. My character and nature begins to have who he is as a part of it, not just myself. Then all of a sudden, all those rules and all that law, I just begin to naturally live by. I begin to walk in it myself. I begin to have my power and my own step. I have my own life to live in, and that life reflects the life of God that's inside of me. And so as you see, legalism, what the Pharisees were a part of in the New Testament, the law, all it can do, uh, the old, the New Testament tells us that all the law can do is be a schoolmaster. What does that mean? It just informs us about the holiness and the character of God. That's all the law does is tell us how God is and how we're not. What changes that? Well, live by the Spirit. Live in the relationship of the Spirit. Live by the Spirit, and then you do not gratify the sinful, wrongful desires of your human nature. David understood that. 
I, I love David. I, I just love David. And, and the reason I love David is he understood that the way to holiness, the way to righteousness, the way to life, the way to, to walk in a way that is empowering and strengthening and becoming, the way for that to happen had to be in the context of a relationship. He understood that long, long before Jesus. He understood that. And, and, and that's powerful to me. That is so exciting. If David understood, now that I have Jesus and I have the New Testament, how much more can I walk in it? How much more can I have? Uh, David was limited. I'm limitless. David knew just what he had been shown. Now I have access to all that, that he is because I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. By the way, David did have the Spirit living with him. The Bible says when he was anointed king of Israel the first time that the Spirit of God came upon him and never left him. Well, that's a, that is hope right there. That's real life right there, isn't it? In that real life, the Spirit of God to come upon you and to never leave you. And, well, and, and you go, does that happen for us? Yes, it does. Because he said, Jesus said it was necessary that he should go so that the Holy Spirit would come. So if he left to send the Holy Spirit, you can be assured. If Jesus left us so that the Holy Spirit could come because it was necessary, you can be assured that the Holy Spirit is alive and active in your life. Let me also say this. You not only can be assured that he's alive and active in your life, Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, which means he's not left you either. He sent the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's not gone. He's not leaving you. He's not leaving you behind. You're not as an orphan left in this world. You have it. And so that's a, that is hope and life. Do you see how powerful that is? Let's get to the psalm because we're 10 minutes in and I ain't even got to the psalm. I'm all in the rest of scripture. He says, Lord, I cry out to you. Make haste to me. What is he saying? Lord, come to me. Lord, I have a relationship with you. Lord, you come and be with me. Jesus said, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. Does God keep his promises? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And so David's crying out to God to draw near to him. And what's the natural instinct of God? Just like a mother hearing her infant child crying in the crib. When that cry goes out, mother's heart's drawn toward him. You go, aren't you identifying God as his mom? Well, Jesus identified God as having that motherly, having that motherly instinct. When he topped the hill and saw Jerusalem and wept, and he said, I would that I'd pulled you together like a mother hen draws together her chicks. He was given, he said he had that 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 type of personality, a personality of love and a personality of nurturing. Let me tell you something. God the Father's got that because Jesus got it from the Father. And so if Jesus had the context of wanting to nurture and to love us and to grow us, well, he got it from his heavenly Father. And let me tell you something. Your heavenly Father has that too. Uh, a man can nurture also. And God the Father is actively and and doing the very best to nurture you. He said, he says, make haste to me. Give to my voice when I cry out to you. Give ear to my voice. He says, I want, uh, will you will you hear me? And let me tell you something. Scripture over and over is quite clear that those who were his, he hears their prayers. Uh, their sweet incense before him. He hears their voice. Jesus says, says that my sheep hear my voice and they know. We know the voice of God and God knows us.
Uh, Jesus said he leaves the 99 in, in the field to go and find the one lost one. Why? Because he knows the sentiment. He, he numbers us one by one. He has intimate relationship with us. David understood that. You can't read this book of Psalms and not see that David understood that. And not only that, God understands it. He says, let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Notice there's worship there and there's prayer. He's saying, I want to be before you. I want to walk in the context of our relationship. I want it to be a growing, active, powerful relationship. He says, uh, let my prayers be set before you as in the incense, uh, the lifting up of, up of my hands as the, as the evening sacrifice. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. How you can keep from saying stupid stuff and doing stupid things and allowing anger to overcome you and you destroying things. How you do that? Well, you do it in the context of a relationship with God. You say, God, set, just like David did. What did he say? Set a guard over the lips of my mind. I need that, don't I? I need uh, God to filter what I say. I need God to filter what I put out there in the public. You've heard it said, don't hit send until you've read it two or three times. Let me tell you something. You need to consider what you say before you say it. And the best way to consider it is to go to someone and allow to be a, 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 a board where you can bounce things off of. And, and the best person to go to, to be that board, to be that source of advice, to be that source of strength and direction is God himself. Now, God's given us each other, too. Uh, we live in not just a, a singular relationship with God. We live in the context of a communal relationship with all of God's people. So, sure, there's people out there that can give you um, give you good advice and give you uh, good counsel. And, and, and the Bible says in the counsel of many, there's wisdom. And so, sure, absolutely. But the first person you ought to always deal with before you say something that you're not sure you should say, or for, before you say something born of anger or born of pain or born of an issue, first thing you need to do is, is go to God and see if God says, this is going to be productive. This is going to be edifying. This is going to be building. If it's not going to be building, shouldn't be said. If it's not if it's not said for the purpose of love, which is the purpose of growth, maturity, nurturing, if it's not said for that purpose, shouldn't be said. Oftentimes now there are things that need to be said that are painful and difficult, but they should be said for the purpose of love. And David's going to say that. He says, "Keep watch over the doors of my lips. Do not incline my heart to an evil thing." What he's saying is, I want my heart to be inclined toward your holiness toward your righteousness, toward your truth. And the way my heart is inclined toward your holiness, righteousness, and truth is I live by the Spirit, like we said earlier. I live in the context of the Spirit of my relationship with God. Now, that relationship with God involves His Word, which is truth. It involves his power and strength and direction, which is my walk in life. It involves my my emotions and my feelings and how I live. It, it involves, involves that personal who I am and who God is. But once I do that, once that happens, I hear God and I hear uh, his character and nature. And when I hear his character and nature in the midst of this situation, then I make a decision based off of who he is. And then all of a sudden, I'm not walking in sin anymore. All of a sudden, I'm not walking in doubt anymore. 
all of a sudden I'm not walking in fear anymore. What I'm walking is I'm walking by faith. I'm walking in the context of life in front of God and before God. And when that happens, when I do that, then my life is changed. Then that's when salvation takes place. That's when who I am becomes who he is. That's what salvation is. Salvation is saving me from me so that I can walk as he is, so that I can be like as he is. That's what salvation is. Salvation is not just saving me from sin. You need to get that. Salvation is not just saving me from hell. That's just a byproduct of the good things that come from salvation. Salvation does save me from my sin. Salvation does save me from who I'm not. Salvation does keep me from going to hell. But that's not what salvation's ultimate goal is. Salvation's ultimate goal is that I be like Christ, that I be changed, that I be made new, that I have hope, that I have direction, that I have power, that I have faith. That's what salvation's and salvation has life involved in. And when I walk in that salvation, when I walk in that life, when I walk with that purpose, then all things are changed. He says, do not incline my heart to evil things. In the context of my relationship, God shows me that which I should not do and that which I should. He says, with men who work iniquity and do not let me eat of their delicacies. What he's saying is don't let me eat of this world. Don't let me eat of the things of this world that are so enticing that the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil was enticing. That's what the Bible says about, about Eve when she saw it and she saw that it was good to eat. She was enticed by the world. Um, we're always being enticed and drawn away by the world. That's the natural uh, state of humanity. Our hearts are, are bent toward evil. And the, the way our hearts are changed is not by rules, the way our heart is changed is by the relationship with in which we have with God, where he not only defines himself, which would be the rules, the law, his nature is the truth. He def not only defines himself, but he teaches us how to walk in it, to be who he is. And so those are two totally different things. And, and life comes from walking in the context of God and our relationship with him. That's where salvation's at. He says, let the righteous strike me. Uh-oh, it shall be a kindness and let him rebuke me. Now, are there times once the person is growing and walking in a relationship uh, with God, once a person is maturing and becoming, is there a time when you see somebody about to step off into a pit or they're doing something that's very destructive uh, for their, is there a time when you have to be straightforward and just come at them because they're not listening, they're not hearing? Yes, there is that time. That time does come. There is a time of rebuke. There is a time of saying, this is not right. This is wrong. But you don't do that when somebody first comes to Christ. They're trying to figure out the relationship. You don't do that when somebody is so beat down that they have no hope. You've got to give them hope. But once you give them hope, once you get to the place where you've told them the truth and you've told them how to walk with God and you've given them the, the grace and the faith to walk with God, there does come a time when you say to them, that's just wrong. And we see that in scripture. We see Nathan coming to David when he took Bathsheba and had Uriah killed and told the story of, of the rich man who had all these sheep and, and the poor man who had only one sheep and, and the rich man that was going to have a feast. And rather than taking one of his sheep and sacrificing and killing it and, and preparing it for the feast, what did he do? He took that one, that poor man's one and he was the prize of that man's heart, the prize of that man's life. 
and he took it and he sat and he, and he killed that sheep and he, they ate it as a feast. And the man then had no, and David was indignant about that because it was wrong. It was wrong. And there is wrong in the world and there's wrong in our hearts. And David was indignant about that. He said, I, I can't believe that happened. You show me who that man is and I will punish him. And, big, and Nathan the prophet, it's hard to go to a king and tell him he's wrong. Nathan, the prophet, with that big, long, bony thing, finger, he pointed at David and he said, thou art the man. David was wrong. David was sinful. David had destroyed and taken life rather than to be instrument of life that God had made him to be. Rather than being his representation in the earth, David sought after his own will in his own way. When that happened, Nathan loved David enough to go and rebuke him for it. And he told him, you're the man. David heard Nathan and he heard God because he has a relationship with God. See, when you're talking to somebody who's growing in their relationship with God and they're headed down a path of pain and death, path of sin and, and separation from God, you can go and rebuke them. You can go and talk to them and say, look, you can't do this. This is wrong. This is not right. That's not legalism. That's love at its finest. Going and telling somebody that the path that they're on is destructive for them and those around them is love at its finest. But it has to be done for a person who already has a relationship with God. That's not legalism. That's love. He says here, let the righteous mate strike me. It shall be a kindness. Notice when a righteous person comes and tells you the truth, it's a kind, it's a good thing. He says, and let him rebuke me. It shall be as an excellent oil. He says, he says, he says, it'll be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it. Oil is the power of the Holy Spirit pouring down over us. That's that picture of the power of the Holy Spirit anointing us with power. He says a rebuke, for, a godly rebuke. A godly pointing out that the path you're on is wrong is a powerful oil, but it should be done in the right way. It should be done one-on-one. -on -one. If you've got a problem with your brother, you should go to them one-on-one. -on -one. And if they don't listen, take another. And if they don't listen, then take them to the church. Then deal with it. But legalism is not the way to do it. Legalism is not the way uh, to walk. There's a path to doing these things, and it's an important path. And we've got to learn that path. We've got to learn how to do that. I know many people in the church are mature enough to know how to do that. And I'm praying that uh, we'll be a church that's full of grace, full of love, full of hope. And then for those who are walking with God in strength and power, we can also be a church that's full of truth. And <clears throat> that truth involves the context of the relationship that we have with each other and that we have with God. He says, for still my prayers against the deeds of the wicked. Their judges are overthrown by the sides of the cliff, and they hear my words, for they are sweet. Our bones are scattered at the mouth of the grave, and when one plows and breaks up the earth, as with one, when one plows and breaks up the earth, what he's talking about is the world system is a is a is a it's a it, it's an imperfect system. It does not fix things. He's talking about unrighteous judges. And we know that takes place in the world, but the words of truth are sweet and the words of life are sweet. He says, and, and when that unrighteousness is in the world, there's bones everywhere and, and it's as if we plow them under. He's saying, listen, God is, uh, 
God's got truth out there, but the world cannot give it to us. The world does not change anything. The world only destroys. He says, but, but in verse eight, he says, but my eyes are upon you, O God, the Lord. In you, I take refuge. Notice, I'm not going to look at the world and expect the world to save me. I'm not going to look at the world and expect the world to do things rightly. I'm not going to, I'm not going to hope, place my hope in the world. We do that. You do that. You know that, right? You place your hope in other people and in the world rather than placing your hope in Christ. You do that. Don't do that. He says, but my eyes are upon you, O Lord, O, o God, the Lord. In, in you, I take refuge. Do not leave my soul destitute. That's that relationship. He's saying, do not leave my heart, my mind, my passions, my intellect destitute, meaning alone and separated. He says, don't do that, Lord. Keep me from the snares they have laid for me and from the traps of the workers of iniquity. Notice the way I stay away from sin and death is walking in my relationship with God. It's easy. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.